0: Xiaomi is one of our favorite phone manufacturers here on the podcast. It's just a shame that we can't really get our hands on them. Until now, we've got our look at the Xiaomi Redmi 10, and it's time to share. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Hello and welcome to the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I'm your host, Adam Doubt, and this week we're taking a look at the Redmi 10. It's a decidedly budget phone, but it's a great value if you can embrace MIUI 12.5, that is. It's our first review device from Xiaomi, and we sincerely hope it's not our last. Plus, we're taking a look no pun intended, at Soundcore Frames, as the name very unsubtly implies, these are glasses with Bluetooth speakers in the earpieces, and I finally get to determine whether or not these are as problematic as I always assumed. You'll find that out too, but before we get to all that, we have to get to the news of the week. (laughs) Two weeks ago, Cliff and I talked about the Google Pixel 6, and the funny thing is, I was specifically asked about the fingerprint sensor. At the time, I said it was okay, or about as okay as any other in-display fingerprint sensor I've ever used is, and I stand by that. At this point, I've had two Pixel 6s in my possession, a review unit and a retail unit, and they're both just okay. In-screen fingerprint sensors have gotten better, but they're no better than any physical sensor, but... They are a lot better than the pieces of crap that Apple puts on their iPads. Sorry, little tangent there. Anyway, some people have found that the fingerprint sensor is slow, and yeah, it's a little slow. Well, according to Google, that's a feature, not a bug. You see, the Google Pixel 6 really wants to make sure that you are who your fingerprint says you are, so it's being extra cautious before allowing you to enter your phone. According to a tweet by Google... Because, by the way, we live in a world where press releases are delivered 256 characters at a time now yay. But according to Google, quote, the Pixel 6 fingerprint sensor utilizes enhanced security algorithms. In some instances, these added protections can take longer to verify or require more direct contact with the sensor. And you don't have to read into it too far to see that Google is justifying its less than awesome fingerprint sensor, while at the same time implying that other fingerprint sensors do not use enhanced security algorithms, quote unquote. Of course, Google could have said, Look, this is the first time we put a fingerprint sensor into the screen, and it's going to take us a minute to figure this out. But instead, they imply that all other fingerprint sensors are less secure, and you're too impatient. Not a great look. Oh, and speaking of the fingerprint sensor, just in case you needed another reason to crap on it, some more, some reports are coming out on Reddit, which, yeah, okay, Reddit's not the most reliable source of information, but there you go. Anyway, multiple users on Reddit have reported that if you let your Pixel 6's battery drain all the way to zero, the fingerprint sensor stops working and i know what you're thinking you're thinking how much scotch can a fat man drink in one sitting without pissing himself and the answer is approximately 400 milliliters or so but you might also be thinking if the battery dies the whole phone stops working duh it's a phone right but the rest of the phone works again after you plug it in the fingerprint sensor not so much. In fact, it seems the only way to fix this issue is by factory resetting the device, which is honestly not a big deal for people like me who reset phones like they're candy. That doesn't make a lot of sense in retrospect, but I really need to have a talk with my scriptwriter. Which is also me. Is this getting weird? What was I saying? Oh, right. But factory resetting your phone is muy no bueno for normals. Google already has a bug tracker in progress for this one. And no, dear listener, I did not drain my own Pixel 6 to find out if this was a thing. Yes, I reset my phone often, but not so much that I want to do it voluntarily. Meantime, don't let your Pixel 6 die, you know. Just in case. This week saw the announcement of the Microsoft Surface Chromebook. <clears throat> I mean, the Microsoft Surface Chromebook. Damn it! I mean, the Microsoft Surface Laptop SE. This is the first 16 by 9 aspect ratio seen on a Surface in 7 years, so that's exciting. And the resolution comes in at a measly 1366 by 768 and just Ew. But you do get the same keyboard and trackpad built into the Surface Go, so there's that. The only real change is the plastic body. And it's built with normal screws, so it'll be easy for schools and IT departments to maintain. All of which is great. Well, except for the screen part, but anyway. Plus, this laptop comes in at just $249, which is definitely Chromebook competitor territory. Of course, with that price point comes other compromises, including a Celeron processor, 4 gigabytes of RAM, and a 1-megapixel camera. One. One megapixel camera capable of 720 resolution. The Verge calls it good enough for teams... I guess. Microsoft also announced that we'll be seeing Windows 11 SE laptops coming from the likes of Dell asus lenovo hp and more so yeah microsoft is attacking chromebooks hardcore here windows 11 se itself takes a different approach than its previous windows 10s approach no longer locking app selection to those in the app store apps like chrome and zoom will be available at it's discretion but we don't have a full list of windows 11 se approved apps yet regardless this is good news and we'll have to wait and see how this approach takes on or fails to take on Chromebooks in any meaningful way. I'd say Google has the market pretty well cornered at the moment so it's going to be an uphill battle for sure. In a victory for right-to-repair enthusiasts, Apple is backing off a stance that previously made iPhone 13s very hard to repair. It seems when you replace the screen on an iPhone 13, you also had to transfer over a microcontroller from the broken screen onto the new screen. Otherwise, Face ID just wouldn't work. Of course, we're in a pandemic, so it doesn't work that well anyway. Regardless, Apple plans to release a software update that will no longer require that microcontroller transfer, which makes the iPhone much more repairable when the update comes out of course we don't have a timeline for that and you might be wondering how a software update will fix that it's a very good question it's because apple approved repair shops already have a software tool that allows them to swap screens and re-enable face id oh isn't that nice yeah dick move, Apple. So, this isn't really a victory for the right to repair so much as it's giving people back what A, has been available all along, but only to the Apple chosen ones, and B, should have been available to anyone before. I mean, it's nice that Apple is undicking itself for our benefit, but it sucks that they were dicks in the first place. This week, YouTube announced that it was removing dislike counts from videos in an effort to combat harassment and, air quote, dislike attacks. The metrics will still be there for creators. For example, I can still see how many people have disliked my videos, and trust me, people, I get it. I'm a much better podcaster than I am a YouTube creator. Anyway, so you'll still be able to dislike my videos, but you won't know how many other people also dislike them. You may be alone in your convictions, or you might be one of thousands who all hate me. Again, totally get that. Some creators have expressed misgivings here, and I gotta say... I'm not really sure why. Personally, I'm for it. It's a lot easier to see that a thousand people have disliked the video and then pile on than it is to independently decide, hey, this guy sucks at YouTube. Once again, and I can't emphasize this enough, I get it. So will this lead to overall health on the platform? I doubt it. With the exception of my channel, where the commenters seem pretty decent, YouTube commenters are basically a skin of evil, and no amount of feature revision will change that. But as for this change... I'm perfectly fine with it. Speaking of changes in policy, The Verge made a big to do about updating its policy for accepting information on background. Basically, what on background means is someone in the know will give you official information about something, but that information won't be attributable to a specific person. For example, you might contact someone at the EPA about vehicle exhaust, and rather than an official spokesman giving you an official statement, you might get some cubicle smurf who works there to give you some information to help flesh out your story. It's really only reportable if you can find a second official source to back up the on background stuff. In short, Sometimes it's helpful, but often it's really just annoying. Lately, though, some companies have been taking a few things for granted. They'll offer up information on background without asking permission, and the thing is, on background and off-the-record information should be disclosed and agreed upon ahead of time. Like, if I were to say to you, hey, off-the-record, I'm going to launch a brand new smartphone operating system called Android," because it sounds like Doubt. Anyway, if I were to drop that bombshell on a reporter, they'd be like, whoa, that's amazing, but I can't write about it. Rather, if I go and say, hey, can I tell you something off the record? And they're like, yeah, sure, that's fine. Go right ahead. And then I drop that news and it's like, oh, wow, that sounds fascinating can't wait to write about it but the verge lists off a number of occasions where some information was offered on background but it clearly should not have been so the verge is clearing stuff up and telling everyone look if you tell us something is on background that's cool but first you're gonna have to tell us why it's on background so that we can tell our readers why it's on background and second we're going to have to agree to it being on background in the first place cool cool Now, there really isn't a joke in here, except for some of the comical instances that The Verge lists as examples of on-background being abused, and some of them are kind of funny. While The Verge tries to keep parties anonymous, one particular stands out. A major car company's head of communications told us an April Fool's joke was actually real on-background. The joke was not real oh i wonder which car companies they could be talking about i can't help but wonder if it rhymes with board Sagan perhaps mm. hashtag whoopsie doodle there's been a lot of talk about private companies delivering satellites and in some cases people to orbit and another company wants to join the fray but in a decidedly different fashion Spin Launch is a company based in New Mexico that wants to launch satellites from a vertical centrifuge that will propel satellites up to 5,000 miles per hour before being released through a cylinder that is taller than the Statue of Liberty. And, yeah, that's a way to do it. Objects in the accelerator will experience G-forces up to 10,000 Gs. And for reference, a human can stay alive up to about 10 or 12 g's and the centrifuge that they have right now isn't even the big one that they want to build now this is kind of cool no matter how you look at it it seems fairly simple on its face and if you think landing and reusing rockets makes for less expensive space flight Try not having to have a rocket at all. SpinLaunch is looking to service paying customers by 2024, so this is not far away from becoming a thing. Of course, that'll mean even more satellites up in the sky, and that could be awesome or not awesome, depending on your take on satellite interference with telescopes, but that's another issue to be addressed at another time. Hey, do you remember MoviePass? That was a subscription service that let you go to as many movies as you wanted for like $10 a month. Actually... Do you remember movie theaters? Those were those big dark rooms with sticky floors and giant TV things that would show you movies while you ate $7 popcorn. Anyway, MoviePass might be making a comeback as Stacy Spikes, one of the original co-founders, has successfully bought the company back from bankruptcy. You see, back in 2018, MoviePass wanted to drop the price at $10 a month and Spikes protested, then he got fired. Now he's hoping to bring the service back, but he's facing a lot of obstacles to do so. First and foremost, there's a, you know, kind of a pandemic, which is not over, by the way, people. Hashtag booster shot. Getting people to go back to theaters might be a challenge since ticket sales are down 70% from this time in 2019. The second is that the success of MoviePass showed theater companies like AMC that subscription services can work when they're priced well, which is why AMC and I believe a few others launched their own services since then, so will MoviePass 2.0 be more successful? Possibly, but it has a long hill to climb to get even close to being back. Here's a PSA. You know how sometimes you get a hankering to watch RoboCop, but it turns out RoboCop isn't streaming anywhere unless you want to buy RoboCop, and let's be honest, do you really want to be the guy who buys RoboCop? Really? Okay, yes, I am the guy who bought RoboCop, but it was $5, so leave me alone. Anyway, let's say you want to watch RoboCop, but it's more expensive than that, and I can tell you RoboCop is about $7 worth of movie, maybe 8 But it's if it's being sold for like nineteen ninety five, then you're not going to want to pay $20 for RoboCop. Well, a new update to Google TV will let you add RoboCop to your watch list, and you'll actually get a notification once RoboCop becomes free to stream somewhere, which is really cool for all those RoboCop fans out there, but this service works for more than just RoboCop it works for any movie so go ahead and load up the watch list and while you wait for all those movies to become available to watch for free may I recommend perhaps paying $5 to pick up RoboCop there's a link in the show notes and you know you want it And, by the way, speaking of the show notes, don't forget to subscribe to the Benefit of a Doubt newsletter, which includes the show notes and links to all the stories that I talk about. And you can do that by visiting bit.ly slash BOTDnews or just clicking on the link in my Twitter profile at Dead Technology. Last week's newsletter was actually on time, if you can believe it, so head on over to bit.ly slash BOTDnews to subscribe. Once again, that's bit.ly slash botd news all lowercase letters and I'll see you on the newsletter. And finally this week saw Disney Plus Day, which is the anniversary of the release of Disney Plus. Right off the bat came the release of Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings very good movie, but I'm a sucker for martial arts movies. But Disney also released an upcoming slate of teasers and show announcements, including Obi-Wan Kenobi, Agatha, House of Harkness, and more. There were a ton of announcements, and it's genuinely hard to say which I'm most excited about. There are a ton of things coming to Disney+, Plus, so you can be sure the money-making machine is running at full speed, and I kind of wish we'd gotten more solid dates on some projects, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, but all we get are vague sometime in 2022. So I guess here's to 2022 and hurry the
1: hell up. Back in application, API, bugs, attachment DevOps, back frameworks, backward, oriented, band, natural language, software, blue editor, editor, book, merge, control and web, Welcome to Tech Yeah! yeah.
0: This week for Tech Yeah, we're taking a look at the Soundcore frames. These are, as you might expect, glasses with Bluetooth speakers in the frames. The arms are touch-sensitive, so you can control playback and volume and answering calls, and we'll get to all that in a bit. But first, let's start off with the design. The frames come in three parts. There are two arms and then the glasses part. The arms stick into the glasses part and can be removed. What's nice about this is that you have different glasses for different situations. And what's nice about this for Soundcore is they can just mass produce the arms and make whatever frames they think will sell. SoundCord sent me all 10 different styles, and I ultimately settled on the Horizon style. They have a gradient shading from top to bottom, so the shading gets less as you look farther down. Overall, I would prefer more shading, but I like my sunglasses dark all the time, even on overcast days, so, you know, I'm kind of a dark person. That came out wrong. The Bluetooth earpieces sound about as well as you'd expect them to sound. They seem like they're tuned mostly for voice and not so much for music. There's really no bottom end at all, and overall, the sound quality is a little bit hollow. That's fine for podcasts, not so great for music. Plus, these are basically just speakers by your ears so other people can listen to what you're listening to, whether it's music, podcasts, or phone calls about your recent doctor's visit, and trust me, don't do that. Soundcore does have a privacy mode, which really doesn't help all that much, at least not according to my 15-year-old, because it only turns two of the speakers off while two of the other speakers nearest your ears continue to broadcast, so people can still hear what you're saying. As I said, the earpieces are touch-sensitive, and you can control things via taps and swipes. These are all configurable in the app. You can have a double-tap to play and pause, and a double-tap on the other side to summon Siri... If you have an iPhone and hate having a smartphone assistant, that doesn't suck. By far, my favorite gestures are the swipes forward and back to skip forward and back and to turn volume up and down. It's so intuitive and works so much better than most of the touches I use on other earbuds. I kind of love it. One tricky part are the touch targets for the tabs. They're somewhere on the earpieces, but I can never seem to find them on the first try. I've actually taken to tapping with two fingers just to have a better shot at them. It's not awesome, but they're also on the side of your head, so it's not like they could put a dot or something where you're supposed to tap them. Charging is pretty easy. There's a proprietary cable that attaches magnetically to the earpieces to charge them. I'd like to see a charging case, similar to what Facebook's Ray-Bans do, but in the absence of that, this will do. Battery life is kind of okay. Soundcore advertises about five and a half hours, and that seems pretty consistent with my testing. I'd actually say that that might be a little on the conservative side. Now, here's the thing, and this is the thing with any connected sunglasses you buy, not just Soundcores. But what happens when you have to take them off to go inside? Like, I need to go make a Target run, so I pop on the frames and listen to a podcast in the car... When I get to Target, I want to go inside and I have a choice. I either have to leave them on and look like a douchebag wearing sunglasses inside, or I can take them off and not listen to my podcast. Soundcore kind of addresses this by making a number of different frames, some of which have clear lenses but it's not exactly easy to swap between the lenses, nor to store them when they're not in use. I actually went to an optometrist to see how much it would cost to get a pair of transition bifocal lenses to put into them because, you know, I'm old. But the cost with insurance was like $250, and yeah, I don't need them that badly, especially when the Soundcore frames themselves cost $199. So what I ended up doing was tilting the lenses up and resting them on my head like I'm a teenage girl or something. It wasn't a great look, but I'm also 45, so (laughs) what do I care? You might care, so Soundcore has not solved this problem, not that I really expected them to. It's unfortunate, because if not for this problem, I would definitely be interested in owning a set for myself, and maybe you are interested, and if so, there's a link to them in the show notes, and if you pick up a pair, you'll be helping out the show and you'll have my thanks. But for now, Let's get back to the show. Xiaomi is one of our favorite phone manufacturers, even though we rarely get a chance to take a look at them because they're not available here in the United States. We here at the podcast think that is quite unfortunate. So we were thrilled when Xiaomi reached out to us and asked, hey, you want to check out the Redmi 10? And I said, yes, fam. And Cliff said, Over here, buddy, and I'm like, "All right, cool." So I've got Cliff on to do our full podcast review of the Redmi Ten. Cliff, how you doing this evening, afternoon, morning, whatever time it is?
1: I'm not even sure anymore. Yep. Uh, yep. It it is. It has been one of those weeks. That's all I'll say. But i yeah, I'm doing well, feeling sprite. It's there's something kind of nice about recording in the morning because it there is, is. Yeah,
0: there is. So, um, little backstory on this. Cliff is actually the one that uh, managed to wrangle a contact over at Xiaomi, and he said, "So I've got this contact, but the condition is I want the first phone." And I said, "Oh, all right, that's cool. You deserve it." So, um, as it turns out, it was the Redmi 10, and Cliff is here to tell us all about it. So, Cliff, let's just start off with a kind of an overall, you know, high level view. How is this phone? How are you digging it?
1: You know, I think with, with a Xiaomi phone, I have uh, certain expectations, right? I I know I'm, I'm like 99% positive that it's just going to be a ton of phone for the money because they have a stated, uh, uh, I guess, corporate mandate that they're only going to make a 5% profit on their phones. Right. And so you know it's going to be incredibly well-priced, and they're going to throw... The whole kitchen sink in there, uh, as much as they can, uh, for uh, you know, for what you're getting, or for what you're paying. So and that's definitely the case uh, with the Redmi 10.
0: You know, I kind of wonder like how that actually shakes out. I wonder if they like build a phone and figure out how much it costs to make, and then add five percent, or do they like set a target like we want to build a two hundred fifty dollar phone. What can we shove in there for $225? You know, like, I kind of wonder, like, which way they go on that.
1: I really wonder the same thing. What I do know about uh, Xiaomi is that they have a ton of different phones um, that are that are kind of spec in the mid range to lower range. So, mm-hmm. you know, and they and they have a lot of different uh brands under the so they have uh, which is actually instead of Me now it's just called uh, their Xiaomi branded phones. They have the Redmi series which is their budget line. They also have the Poco line and then which is their gaming focused phones. And then yeah. I know they have another one that that's that's uh China only and I can't remember the name of it. So they have a lot of components um i'm guessing you know that with, that they're sourcing it at a large scale um yeah. and, and it's, it's kind of a, a lot of a parts bin of of uh of components to pull from and so i think you know they're starting at where they're just ordering a lot of one thing <laughs> and so i'm sure that scale really helps um with pricing yeah. things you know whether it's a fingerprint sensor or a display uh, I've heard I've heard a uh, friend of the podcast Miriam Jouar speak to this, where it's just like, and depending on the market, it can be the same or almost the same device, just branded differently. So yeah. I'm I'm yeah. sure that helps with it.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so now we've got this phone, which is the Redmi 10. What's the what's the going price for that phone? I I didn't I didn't catch that. I so, mean, obviously it's it's an overseas phone, so there won't be right. like a one to one comparison, but
1: exactly. So the Redmi 10 starts at uh, at a hun- the equivalent of 179 dollars. If you were to import one, you can probably add about 30 to to 40 dollars on top of that. I'm sure it's going to be around 200 210. Right. Uh, okay. The, the unit that I, I, not just we, but I think everybody that has received a, re- a review unit of this device has is, is actually the, the max spec one because the, the entry level one is, is a, it's the same processor, a, a Helio PG88. Okay. Um, but then you can get a, a depending on what you pay, you can get a four gigabyte, sixty four gigabyte, four gigabytes of RAM, sixty four gigabytes of storage, or one hundred and twenty eight. Or you can go up to six gigabytes of RAM and a one hundred and twenty eight gigabytes of storage, which is what our review and that's what is. you have.
0: Okay, correct. Gotcha.
1: Which I think that's more in like the 230 two hundred and fifty dollar range. Roger that. Okay. Yeah. okay. Right. So still, I mean, it's it's definitely. I mean, if you're looking at um something comparable here in the u.s there's, there's it's kind of it's honestly nigh on impossible to find something that's that's got all of the things that this phone has for the price it's kind of ridiculous okay um, so let's talk about those things all those right. things that this phone has what do we got so as i mentioned uh it's got a MediaTek tech helo g88 which um if we're looking at that's it, not a, i think there's only like two phones on the market that have that uh and they're not here in the u.s including uh this one um it's, it's comparable in, in performance to like a, a, a Snapdragon 662 or 665. So definitely, you know, a low to mid-range processor. Okay. Um, so here's, here, I'm just going to list off some of these things. So I mentioned it has 6 gigabytes of RAM and that processor. So at around the 230 220 $210 equivalent pricing for our high spec model. But n- across the board, you get a 90 hertz LCD screen that's 1080p. Nice. So it's got a high refresh rate. That's kind of crazy, uh, for starting in a uh, you know the, the equivalent of 180 dollars. It's got uh, a 50 megapixel uh, main shooter. Okay. An 8 megapixel ultra wide, and then two sticker cams for macro and depth. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, the fact that you get a 1080p screen at 90 hertz is is kind of crazy. Uh, it's got uh, the side-mounted fingerprint reader, and then I uh, like a lot of phones. That are you know quote unquote budget phones. It's it's a big screen. It's a six point four inch screen. Or I'm sorry, six point five inch screen. Right. So it it is a big phone. It's got a five thousand milliamp hour battery. So again, a huge battery, especially yeah. for the price. Uh, and so yeah, that combined with the uh, the price of the G eighty eight, it's 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 definitely. And I know we're just talking specs here, but the the battery life is is very very good as you would expect. Excellent. Um, yeah, uh, available in three different colorways, a carbon gray, a pebble white. And then what we receive, which is the sea blue. And it's actually what I would call an ombre where it kind of goes from this like crystal gray kind of color all the way down to the light blue. And then it changes in the light. So yeah, it's, it's definitely an attractive phone. And then it's got that, um, I don't know what you'd call it, but, it, uh, the, the, so it's got a out blacked out camera module with, uh, the aforementioned, uh, displays. It's, uh, basically, like a little island on this otherwise sea of, of a lighter color. It, you know, I I would call this a, a mildly attractive phone, and all that's subjective. But uh, you know, I think I think I think Xiaomi um, is is I wouldn't call them derivative. They they used to be in terms of their their hardware. Uh, they used to imitate a lot of different styles. They definitely, if you look across their range now. You can look at that, and and probably if you're familiar with Xiaomi phones at all, tell that that's a Xiaomi phone.
0: Gotcha. And and so
1: it's right. So even if you look at their their high end stuff uh, within the Redmi slash Xiaomi line, there's there's definitely some uh, distinctive design going on there. It does have, as you would probably expect at this price, uh, also a a headphone jack, which Mm, is nice. USB C, which used to for the commoners, (laughs) right. (laughs) USB C, which is nice, uh, rather than the micro USB, which you used to get um, in in budget phones. Yeah. So, a a (laughs) side-mounted, yes, thank God, a side-mounted fingerprint reader, uh, and it does have microSD XC expansion, which is really nice. So again, just, I mean, but between the relatively high-resolution display, the fact that you can get six gigabytes of RAM, uh, a 50 megapixel f over 1.8 uh main shooter uh and the the large display it's just there's a a lot going on with this phone for uh you know not not a lot of benjamin's or yon wan or (laughs) yeah (laughs) whatever you whatever the for the foreign exchange i think actually this phone the one the one that we have is actually i believe a european spec model and it has um because of that i should have mentioned this before uh Google services and the Google Play Store, which is oh, nice. does. Okay. I, I think yeah. that would have made a huge difference in the way I would have, you know, in terms <laughs> of the way I would have uh, evaluated the phone. So,
0: totally, yeah. totally. And speaking of the software, why don't we go ahead and transition on over there? So I understand MIUI was a 12.5 is um, so like when you were telling me about the phone, you said it's good as long as you can deal with MIUI 12.5. So let's talk yeah. about that a little bit.
1: So, for those of you who haven't used MIUI, uh, it's a very popular um, skin or flavor of Android. And MIUI has always had a little bit of uh, Apple going on. And, and uh, ever since I've used it, I think I started using it probably seven or eight years ago. And it has slowly, I think with the encouragement of, of Google, become more and more Googly, less Apple-esque. Okay. Uh, but it's still in there. And that, I think that's, where I, well, that's what I mean when I say... Um you know what whether or not you you like using this phone on day to day is is whether or not you can handle some of the design changes that they've made and I mean you do have like like a lot of of phones that come from that area of the world you have the option of uh no app launcher uh or having an app launcher or um or an app door rather excuse me okay so um, they give you the option that's good right exactly which they didn't uh, at one point before yeah. so i you know for me i I uh, enjoy having the app drawer. I know you say at this point that you, you can go either way.
0: I can. And actually, I, I'm at kind of at the point where I kind of prefer not having an app drawer just because I've got everything so organized. I don't really need an app drawer. So, like, I know where everything right. is. Now, that being said, when I use the Pixel, I use the app drawer as much as 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 I don't, you know. So uh, just because you know, sometimes it's easier just to like swipe up and you know grab it in the A's or something like that, rather than trying to you know. Yeah, remember. it's actually yeah
1: like like a lot of uh, of uh, Asian flavored versions of of uh, Android. This does have the, the so you can view all of the apps in the app drawer alphabetically organized or. Um, I'm sure you can organize it also by the date that they were installed, but then it's got at the top tabs for communication, entertainment, photography. Mm. So that if you want to um so
0: it does the Apple thing of uh of sorting out your apps for you and hoping that it's right. (laughs) Okay.
1: Correct. I personally just never tab over that way. I'm just like, Yeah, it's nice, it's there. But uh Yeah. And if I remember right, this yeah, yes, it does. I forgot to mention in the specs, but it's one of those things I'm reminded of once I uh I'm looking at all the apps that are installed, and there are a lot of of Xiaomi specific apps. Um, okay, but it, this actually does have uh, infrared built into it as well, so you can use it as a remote control. Again, oh, nice. a lot of a lot of stuff in this phone for the money. Yeah, uh,
0: but I will. You don't say get this that very first... often anymore.
1: No, you don't. It's it's and it's usually Asian. Uh, not necessarily market phones, but that that come originally uh, from that area of the world that have the the uh, infrared uh, sensor built into it. So yeah. yeah, it has a and it has just a ton of what I would I guess I would call a bloatware. I mean, it had. I was actually surprised at the amount of games that this had, um, when uh, installed when I first because that's not something I'm used to with Xiaomi phones, but this is the uh, Angry
0: Birds. I know. Well,
1: it wasn't Angry no. Birds, but it was, that, it was that kind of, it was just like the candy crushes and, and that kind of stuff. Do you remember that back I, in the it, day
0: when Angry Birds used to be installed on like every phone that you would buy? Oh,
1: absolutely. <laughs> well, it was because they made a lot of money off of it, that, but yeah, that's was was not phenomenon. so much the case now.
0: Yeah. All right. Sorry. I didn't mean to tangent there. <laughs> that's
1: okay. So I, yeah, I, I probably spent a good 10 minutes when I, when I first uh, moved into this phone, just deleting apps that I personally didn't find useful. Um, now this is not a five G phone, so if you're using it, I should actually talk about this before I go back to the software. In okay. that I'm on Google Fi, I was able to get four G LTE on what is mostly T-Mobile's network. Uh, okay. So I w- actually was able to use it in the U S. And, and it was, you know, it was, it was pretty good. It doesn't support all of T-Mobile's bands, but it's enough to make it. Especially if you lived in like a, a less rural area than than where I live, I think you'd ha- you'd have a pretty good experience with it overall. It's a low um, bar, but yeah. okay. So going back to Miui. <laughs> There's just certain things that, for me, uh, coming from um, more vanilla flavors of Android or more standard um, things, it's, it's a little strange. Um, if you swipe down from the left, you access your notifications. If, uh, and if you swipe down from the top right, you are brought to what looks very much like... Um, the
0: control center.
1: The control center from uh, from Apple, right. And so that means a lot of white space... A lot of icons swimming in giant circles. One thing I do <laughs> like is that it, it shows your smart home. Uh, oh, cool. Uh, connect what? Yeah, right. Devices, if you would like it uh, to, uh, that's an option. So when I have the muscle memory for swiping down just from the top and, and only having one thing, it took me a little bit uh, of time to get used to that. But, I mean, that's mm-hmm. okay. It's just, uh, I mean, if you're coming from another Xiaomi device, then then this won't be any surprise and, and I'm not an going to say device. it's this. Right. Right. Oh, that's very true. Although with Apple, it's coming up from the bottom, right?
0: No the control center comes down from the top.
1: Oh, there's something, there's another like, Oh, it's uh shortcuts or like things like sharing that are on the bottom on uh, iOS. That's right. Um, so it's, it's just, again, like training your muscle memory to, to not do the things that you're used to. Otherwise it's, it's just like any other uh, flavor of Android in that, you know, if you go to the settings, things are organized in a different way than if you're used to like a pixel, for example. I, I mean, I wouldn't say it's that different in, in terms of philosophy than what Samsung does with one UI. Okay. Uh, but you know, it can get in your way if it's something that you're not used to. I think it's very, I think it's very excusable, um, in a phone that gives you so much in terms of, uh, specs for your money. I think it's something that you, you, you probably could get used to pretty fast, but you know, M- MIUI, I, I'll talk about just owning a Xiaomi phone in general. I think when you buy a, a, a phone at this spec, you're probably not expecting, you know, four or five years of security updates. I can't speak to a lot of experience with MIUI. Um, I, I know that Anytime you have a MediaTek processor built in, typically you're you're not getting as many, like, OS-level updates. You might continue to get security updates, but MediaTek is not particularly good with uh, supplying uh, driver updates uh, to manufacturers for okay. a long period of time. But I, I think you could reasonably get two years out of this phone. Um,
0: yeah. And actually... Just FYI, I looked it up while you were talking. Uh the Xiaomi's website says we release monthly and quarterly security patch updates on Xiaomi devices for at least 2 years after product listing in the micro- marketplace. That, that so, sounds about right. And the Redmi and definitely... the Redmi 10 is in that list. So Okay.
1: And and that's that's definitely been my experience so far in and in the, like the month and a half I I've, I've had the phone. I actually just got a security update yesterday. So
0: Okay. Very timely. Yeah, it was very so, <laughs> Um, Why don't we go ahead and transition on over into the camera then, and we'll talk a little bit about that. There's only really the two cameras to talk about, unless I don't know right. if you got into a whole lot of macro photography or anything I with did the not. with that two megapixel punching bag there. But uh, yeah, why don't we?
1: Uh, why don't <laughs> did, we talk? I did about not the... use the, uh, the the macro sticker cam. I, I will tell you that. Here's what's funny about my experience with this phone and I'll start with the fact that uh, Xiaomi and slash Redmi is is known for having pretty good color science and having pretty good cameras um, on a phone, regardless of the price point. Um, Okay. And I think in a lot of ways, when you're looking at especially at the high end, they're a competitor to Apple and Samsung in terms of the, of of the quality of photography that you're getting uh, out out of their higher end devices. So using this phone, um, what I've my experience was like these photos just look a little washed out and um, that, that didn't have the dynamic range that I was expecting. And so I will say, you, shooting video, you're not getting much of, of any stabilization. I mean, it's, okay. it's again which, about what you would, would expect on the video side for the price point. It's not to say that the video uh, looked poor, but it is 30 frames per second at maximum at 1080p. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, it doesn't have a whole lot of horsepower to do some of the more advanced processing for like the, 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 the higher, um, spit or the higher resolution video. But yeah. so, so, but here's my experience, right? So I, I thought, well, these photos just look a little washed out and not a lot of dynamic range. And I use Google photos. So they were uploaded into my personal cloud of photos and then i looked at it on a different phone a high-end phone i think it was my one of my pixels or something like that maybe my samsung and i'm actually these photos look really good they just don't (laughs) so it turns out that in my opinion the camera is actually more capable than than the screen phone let's right exactly the the display can actually show you okay and that's so, that's you don't see that often. No, no, exactly. I was pleasantly surprised. So if you're you're gonna actually be more pleased with your photos if you look at them online or if uh, the people that you're sending them to, like just say you're sending pictures of your daughter to, to grandma, she'll probably enjoy the photos more than you'll you'll enjoy them on the screen. I think that just speaks to uh, Xiaomi's uh, or Redmi's innate prowess with uh, using what is probably not a very expensive uh, sensor. I think this is, I don't even think this is a Samsung sensor. I, but uh, that the photos can, can look better than the display is yeah, capable yeah. of showing. So yeah, I I was, was pleasantly surprised with the camera. And I think for most people, you're going to get uh, very usable results out of it.
0: Kind of like the very definition of the phone shooting itself in the foot. When it's like, oh, these pictures are terrible. Oh, actually, no, they're pretty good. So that's, <laughs> these that pictures is kind are of better and, than the phone. <laughs> I remember, I remember you actually telling me about that like early on in the review process, and uh, so I kind of forgot about that. So I'm glad you brought it up because I wouldn't have remembered it. So, um, all right, what about like, uh, have you had a chance to do like a lot of low light or a- any action photos of the kid running up and down the street or anything yes. like that? So what?
1: Uh, okay. So I, so I got my daughter a a scooter, just and this okay. kind of, like an electric scooter. This is powered by foot, and and so. I think it this it all goes back to about what you would expect for a phone of this price, and that it's definitely going to give you uh, better photos of uh, well lit situations and uh, sure predictable predictable subject matter. So yes, when things are. Um, in less than, than perfect light. If you've got somebody in motion, it's, it's definitely not the worst camera I've ever used for, uh, photography and low light The video is absolutely horrible in low light. They definitely, um, okay. I don't know. I, I can't speak to whether that's the hardware, uh, or the software side. Like if it could be improved with, um, you know, more advanced, uh, processing or better hardware on the inside, but, uh, gotcha. yeah. Um, but yeah, very, very usable pictures in, in fair to, to good light. Um, action photos, not really so much, uh, <laughs> what I, what I think this, this camera set is, uh, is set up for I, I do like, uh, Xiaomi's in fact, that's been a while since I've used it, but I'm going to bring it up here. I do like Xiaomi's, uh, camera software though. Yeah.
0: What do you like about It's,
1: it's, everything is, it's actually it kind of reminds me a lot of, of, uh, what Google does with their, in, in that it's very much, uh fire and forget, Uh, but you've got easy access uh, to your different modes just with a a swipe to the left or the right of the menu down below. There is a pro mode if you want to mess with it. I am uh, not um, familiar enough anymore. If you took, you know, 20 years ago, me back when I was actually shooting film, and I understood, uh, you know, stopping down and changing my ISO and finding that balance between the two. In order to take an ideal shot, that's something that I probably would utilize more. But the fact that you can get a pro mode on a phone like this—that's kind of surprising.
0: Yeah, that is admittedly a weakness on this podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> Well, but I, you
1: know, I, and I—I I don't know how many. What well, you're talking about? Somebody that, that that knows that how to use the pro mode, right? It,
0: right. Yeah. You know, I, if I, this podcast I, ever gets to a point where we can like hire somebody, the first thing I'm gonna hire is somebody who knows how to use promo on the on a phone. Right? Camera.
1: <laughs> it is something that I would like to do. Actually, no. Into.
0: I should say the first thing I'll do is pay you. And then the second thing I'll do is hire somebody <laughs> who knows how to use a promo <laughs> Anyway.
1: So so it's very easy to jump into the the, the camera software and Uh, get a usable photo without having to fiddle fiddle with a bunch of modes before you get to where you want to be. It's, it's, it's good at that. The, the Apple um, style shooting, which is just, which is just a boot up the the camera and then start taking pictures and then it kind of figures out the rest for you. And then you can jump down into, uh, I mean, you can easily switch between photo and portrait and video and then the pro mode. uh, And that's, that's what I was discussing when I, when I say I like it because it's just, Using your thumb to swipe back and forth, yeah, and and everything is readily apparent. Also, Miui definitely is. Uh, so sometimes what you what you get with uh, Android software that, that with people that aren't with developed by people that aren't uh, native speaking or that's not their first language is, is English. You get sort of the the poor translations for certain things, and Miui definitely used to be that way. I I have not run into that with, with me UI uh 12.5 and I I think I'm sure the lot of that is because uh mm-hmm. the last time I used a Xiaomi device it was before they had moved to uh uh Europe and yeah. and to the UK with as far as making their phones available so I think it's definitely more uh localized now and and that you know I I'm not the kind of person that would say oh you have to you know I'm I'm not a an Anglo First kind of person, and then not arrogant in that respect, but if you are going to sell it in the market that you, you probably should get it right because other people do expect that and uh yeah, it seems like they've gotten a lot better with uh, the localization for language. Good. It's not a bad translation it's not like they went into Google <laughs> translate or the wa the Cina weibo <laughs> equivalent and and just put and just dumped whatever it was in the translation on there it, it's definitely contextualized, so gotcha. yeah gotcha.
0: All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap things up then. So, what's your overall impression of the phone? Um, are you happy with the price? Are you happy with the you know overall? Just uh, hit me with it. Yeah, I think
1: with with this being the entry level to uh, the Redmi line, it's got an ama- it's an amazing value proposition. The the amount of stuff that you get in this phone for the money is not something that you can find an equivalent for in our market. I just it, it's it's hard to beat and uh, i i can't speak to how the the 4 gigabytes uh of ram version of this would perform as i've only used the 6 gigabytes of ram model but at 180 bucks i think it would would be more than acceptable and if anything this just makes me want uh to get Xiaomi phones here in the united states because i think i think they could really shake up our market
0: oh totally totally that would be that would be awesome i would love to see it and hopefully Maybe we can see that sometime in the future. So anyway, for now, uh, that is going to wrap up our full podcast review of the Redmi 10. Thank you, Cliff, for getting the contact at Xiaomi. And also thank you for taking the time to evaluate the phone and give us your thoughts here on the podcast. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast if you enjoyed it. And if you really enjoyed it, I would love it if you would write a review for the show. You can write to the show by emailing host at benefitofadoubt.com or by visiting benefitofadoubt.com slash contact. I'd like to thank co-producer Cliff for chatting about the Red Meat 10 and for all his hard work behind the scenes. But most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.